You know, uh, I, I read an article, it was a few years ago. Um, it was a Harvard study. It was entitled, Why Men Die Earlier Than Women. Uh, it showed that about 70% of people over the age of 85 are women, which is kind of a, a crazy statistic when you think about it. And it showed that in the U.S., on average, women live about five years longer than men and about seven years longer than men worldwide. Now, this study went on to show that there were a lot of reasons why men died earlier. One of the reasons was that men, for the most part, uh, they, have, they tend to pick more dangerous jobs, right? Firefighters or policemen or in that area. Uh, the other reason is men are on average larger than women and that somehow relates to them dying earlier. I'm not sure the science reason why, I don't know. Uh, also, another reason is that men are just not as smart as women are. Literally, that's one of the reasons. It says that uh, it's called biological destiny where the frontal lobe that controls judgment and consequences develops slower in men than in women. Now, the last reason is the reason I'm bringing this up. And the last reason in this study, you see it says that men on average die earlier than women because when men have an internal illness, when there's something wrong with them on the inside, they will wait longer than women to go to the hospital. That when they seem fine on the outside, and yet there's something wrong inside, for the most part, women will immediately go to get diagnosed to see what is wrong. And yet for men, what will happen is that they will wait and wait and wait until finally they have to go, and by then it's too late. For men, you see, as long as they look fine on the outside, they don't really care about what's happening on the inside until it's too late. You see, church, for the beginning of the book of Acts, everything looked really wonderful. The gospel was being preached. People were being converted. There was unity within the church. It was to a very high point, even until the very end of chapter 4. Everything looked so good. And then we come to chapter 5. And then we come here. And what we find out is that everything seemed to look good on the outside, and yet on the inside there was this terrible sin that was affecting the people. And it was so terrible, in fact, that God had to cut it out in that moment or else he knew that it would infect the entire church. And that sin was the sin of hypocrisy. You see, church... What God realizes, and what we have to understand as well, is that hypocrisy not only hurts the Christian, it hurts the church. And the reason why God is so severe in his punishment, the reason why Peter was willing to say it so clearly and so loudly to Ananias and Sapphira, is because hypocrisy is so absolutely dangerous and God will not allow it to stay within the church. Look, the thing is, it's hard for us to talk about this, I know. 
Because for us and for the modern church today, it is very rare for us to call out hypocritical Christians. It's almost offensive to do so. And I think it's become normal for us to make everyone feel really comfortable to believe that it's okay to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and yet live your life in a different way outside of church. But God does not allow us to live that way. He does not allow us to think that way. He does not allow the church to ever proclaim that that is good because it's not. And God is so serious about this offense. God is so serious about this sin that in the New Testament here, that within the early church, he is willing to strike down these two people in the very midst of them talking because of how dangerous the sin is. Do you realize how dangerous the sin of hypocrisy is, church? Do you realize how dangerous it is for you to proclaim that you believe and love Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord and yet not have any intention in living that out in your daily life? This is the sin that God is calling out today that he is saying is so absolutely dangerous and that he is warning us of right now. He is so clear about this church, and I want to be crystal clear about this as well. And so what we're going to do is look at three things in this passage. First is the lie of hypocrisy. Second is the heart of God. And third is the truth of the gospel. Okay? So let's go into the first part. Verse 1 and 2 says this, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and only brought a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. You see, the reason this passage starts with the word but is because before this, the church was booming. The believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that they were one heart and of one mind and they were going in the same direction. But here comes Ananias and Sapphira. Now, what scholars believe, and, and this is what I believe as well, is that Ananias and Sapphira, they weren't false teachers. They weren't non-believers. They weren't non-Christians. It's clear that they were believers. We see that they were a part of the group that in chapter 4, verse 31, says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were part of the group that was eating together and drinking together and praising together. Now, what does this mean? Well, shortly, it means that God disciplines his own people. And it means that many times he will discipline us more because we are his own. Now, what I want to do is start at the very beginning. This couple here, they promised to sell their property and give that money to the church. Now, we know that many believers would do this. Uh, we can assume also that when believers did give of their property and give of their uh, possessions and all of those things that the church would celebrate and that they would be honored for this. And that makes sense. I mean, it's a good thing to honor those who make a large sacrifice for the Lord. And you see, Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to be a part of it. 
And so they make a declaration that they would give all of their money to God. And so what happens is they show up, they lay some of their money at the apostles' feet, and keep some of it for themselves. Now, here's the important part. The sin is not that they didn't give everything. That's not a sin. You don't have to sell everything and give it to the church. There was never a command that commanded anyone within the church to ever give all of their possessions. Last week, we talked about giving, right? My call to action when I give a sermon on giving is never going to be, hey, I want you to sell all of your possessions and give it to the church. I am never going to command you to do that. The church doesn't command you. The early church didn't command the believers to give all of their money. They were willing to do so. It says that they voluntarily gave of their possessions. They voluntarily sold their possessions. The sin was not that they kept some of the money for themselves. The sin is that they lied about it. This is what it means to be a hypocritical Christian. Ananias and Sapphira had promised God. They had promised the church that they would give everything. And yet in their hearts, when when they made that promise to God, they had no intention of keeping it. When they proclaimed with their mouth that they were going to do this, that they were going in that direction, that they were willing to go in there, in their hearts, in the bottom parts of their souls, they knew that they were not going to. They knew that they had no intention, no motivation, no willingness to go in that direction. That was the sin. They lied. You see, for Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted everyone to think highly of them. They wanted other people to respect and to love them. And so they made a promise to God, and they told the church, knowing full well that they had no desire in keeping this. You know, John Stott, who's a famous pastor, he said that the sin of Ananias and Sapphira wasn't that they lacked boldness, but that they lacked integrity. He said that they wanted the credit and the prestige for sacrificial generosity without the inconvenience of it. So in order to gain a reputation to which they had no right, they told a brazen lie. Their motive in giving was not to relieve the poor, it was to inflate their ego. Church, this is the golden question for you. What is your motivation? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you come to church? Why are you listening to this right now? Why are you willing to give of your offering and tithes? This question is so important that God was willing to immediately strike down two people. And I think this question is so important for you to be able to answer, for you to think about, for you to meditate and to pray upon. Because, look, you may be able to fool me, 
You may be able to fool others, but you cannot fool God. And this comes to our second point. God sees the heart. In verses 3 to 4, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You had not lied to man, but to God. You see, immediately, immediately Peter sees through their lies. And look, I don't believe that Peter was looking through the contract and he was talking to the buyer and, and he just kind of figured out the, that, that they were lying. No, no. I believe that the reason why Peter knew that Ananias and Sapphira were lying was because the Holy Spirit was working in him. And you see, God, he knew the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. We can only see the surface, but God can see the heart. And the sin of hypocrisy should challenge us, not because we're afraid of what other people are going to think, not because we're afraid of how people will see us as hypocrites, but because God already sees our hearts, and he already sees the intentions of how we're going, and he will not allow that sin to continue within our lives. And so the question is not how am I going to fool others or how am I going to fool God? The question should be, how can I come before the Lord in honesty and integrity, knowing that he already knows my heart, knowing that he already knows my spirit, knowing that he already knows my brokenness, and that he will still accept me when I come before him in honesty? That should be our heart. Church, you cannot hide your hypocrisy. And the reason they sinned, the reason they were punished was not because they held back money. It was because they lied to God in order to be praised by others. When you lie about your faith in order to gain respect and love by others, God is able to see your heart in that. It's foolish to think that we can hide from God. It's foolish to think that we can test the Lord in this way. You see, after Ananias is struck dead, Sapphira comes, it says three hours later, and she's talking to Peter, and Peter asked her the same question, and Sapphira answers in the same way, and Peter says, why are you testing the Lord? He says, why are you trying to test whether or not God is holy? Why are you trying to test whether or not God can see your heart? He asked this to Sapphira, and it's a really good question. You know, I remember a long time ago, a few years ago, I was babysitting my nephew, Junior, and his parents told me that he wasn't allowed to eat any sweets. He had already eaten enough. He had eaten a few cookies. He was was good where he was. He wouldn't be able to sleep, and so don't feed him anymore. And And so all I had was I had one cookie for myself. And so the parents went out, and I was watching him, and I put the cookie on the table, and I was just waiting. And I wasn't hungry at the time, so I was just going to leave it there. And I saw Junior come up. I said, Junior, sorry, this cookie's not for you. It's for me. You can't eat it. I'm going to eat it in a little bit. Just do your own thing, right? And so me, so what I would do, I, I I started to read my book. 
and the cookie was literally right in front of me on the table. And I was reading, I could see from the corner of my eye this chubby little arm starting to go towards the cookie. And I could see in the corner of my eye, Junior looking at me from, the, from his eye just going like this, right? And for him, what he thought was that I could not see what he was doing. Even though the cookie was right in front of me, he thought my peripheral vision was that bad. And so, of course, I had to reprimand him. Of course, I had to say, no, that's wrong. Don't do that. And I know that's kind of a joke, and yet, how often do we put that type of logic to God? When God, in fact, can see everything, when God can see the bottom of our hearts, and yet for so many of us, we're willing to test God in some of the most obvious parts of our minds and souls. We are so willing to test the Lord in in, in our hypocrisy towards everything else. Why are we willing to do that? Why are we willing to test the Lord when he knows the very depths of who you are? When we are not willing to confront and be truthful to him, and yet we try to hide and we try to keep to ourselves and we try to put little thing after little thing and try to hide from God, try to hide from God, and yet God is not fooled by us, church. You cannot fool God. He is able to see your intentions. And he will correct you because he loves you. Just as a doctor is meant to cut into your body in order to heal you, God will cut into your heart. He will cut into your life in order to heal you. Now, I want to say one thing before we go on. Something terrible had happened within the church here. There was a sin that was exposed, and you know what? People were upset. And yet what we see is something really interesting and something countercultural, and that's instead of running away, verse 14 says that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And the reason why I say that this is countercultural is because in our generation, we are defined by our inability to commit. We have the highest job turnover rate of any generation. We have the highest divorce rate of any generation. And when things get too difficult, our generation's first reaction is to run. And look, this idea, this concept, this trend has spilled into our church life. When things get too hard in church, when a relationship begins to break within the church, when the church isn't really our style anymore, we run somewhere else. But for the believers in this passage, they stayed because they understood a simple truth. There is no such thing as a perfect church. There is no such thing as a perfect life group or a perfect praise leader or a perfect pastor. This is what's important. And this is what I want you to hear. They knew that because things were imperfect, they needed to be there to help guide and lead. 
Their mindset wasn't about how they could receive. It was about how the church could receive. Do you see how that's so different than how our generation perceives things? Church, the reason why we run away when things get difficult is not because the church has failed. It's because our faith is weak. We have the wrong mindset when it comes to church. We think it's about us, and we think it's about how we should be served. And it's why a majority of people who go church hopping from one church to another to another constantly, year after year, they most of the time do not have a relationship with the Lord. Because their entire mindset of how the gospel works and how the relationship with God works is wrong. Because everything is about them, everything is how I should be served, and how I should receive, and me, and me, and me. And within that type of relationship, there is no room for God, and there is no room for the church. The reason I'm saying this and the reason I'm so strong about this is because I desire for us to be like these early believers. Every church is going to have bad things happen. Yes, even the early church here, they had terrible things that happened. But that situation didn't define the church. What defined the church was their response to that situation. What characterized them as a good or a bad church, what characterized them as a gospel-centered church or a not-gospel-centered church was not that particular situation. It was a response to that situation. Ananias and Sapphira wasn't the definition of that church. It was the response of the believers to Ananias and Sapphira. Do you see that? This is what's going to be important for you and for me. This church will come across difficult things again and again. As difficult as the coronavirus has been this year, there will be something on the horizon. There will be worse things that happen within our church. There is going to be gossip, betrayal, one thing after another. But those things are going to define Shining Star. What's going to define Shining Star in our future is going to be our response to those situations. Are we going to respond to it in love? Are we going to respond to it with service? Are we going to respond to it with a gospel-centered mindset? Or are we going to run away? That has to be our mindset moving forward. This was the mindset, church, of the early church. Ananias and Sapphira, those people came, yes. They sinned, yes. They hurt the church, yes. But they didn't define the church. They were a gospel-centered church before Ananias and Sapphira, and they were a gospel-centered church after. It was the response that mattered. They held closer to each other, they loved one another, and they clung on to the gospel. And that's why my last point is this. Don't forget the truth of the gospel, church. There's a good chance that if one of us is walking in hypocrisy, the reason why is because you have forgotten what the gospel teaches you about your relationship with God. What God does is he meets you exactly where you are. He doesn't meet you at your best. 
He doesn't meet you when you're doing good. He meets you where you are. And where you are is this, you are a sinner. You are imperfect. You are broken. And yet, what the Bible tells us is that God still loves us to the point where he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his love while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Even though God knew our depravity, even though God knew our sin, even though God understand, understood our brokenness, even though we were at the worst of the worst, he still sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. You see, church, the reason why we forget, the reason why we begin to walk in hypocrisy is because we forget that God has saved us while we were still sinners. He loved us before he even covered us with his perfection. And when we forget that truth, we put on a mask and we fake our Christianity because we think that we have to be good enough. We think that we have to impress other people. We think that there's a standard that we have to keep in order to go to heaven. Look, my hope is that Shining Star would truly be like the early church in Acts. But I don't mean the part where we sell everything that we have and give all of our possessions away. No, I, I hope that Shining Star would be filled with Christians who live and act with integrity, who are willing to be open and vulnerable in their faith because they know that God saved them while they were still sinners. Church, you don't need a mask here. All you need to know is that you are a sinner in need of a savior. You see, in the Bible, Jesus tells us to come to him. Not when we're perfect, not when we're deemed good, but when we're broken and when we're tired. Because all he says is, come to me, all who are heavy laden, all who are tired, and I will give you rest. Amen? Let's pray.